Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family, and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulse, and my partner is Corey Stulse. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two. We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected, others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings, and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017. So if you're just finding the podcast, we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Well, thanks for joining us again on Family Twist. Our guest this episode is Rick Delarada, an acclaimed musician and the creator of Jazz for Peace. Welcome, Rick. Thank you so much. Pleasure. So we're, we're excited that you're here because um, something that we bonded on very, very early in our relationship is music. We're big, big music lovers. Um, Kendall absolutely adores the piano. I think some of oh, his favorite man. musicians are pianists. Absolutely. Um, there is music in our house playing almost 24-7. And my favorite uh, jazz pianist of all time is Oscar Peterson. And I play, we have, we just have a dedicated uh, digital station that just is constantly playing his music in our kitchen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We'll go through our little, our little um, phases because like for a long time it was a Marion. Marion McPartland. Yes. With Marianne that McPartland. show she had, right? Yep. The piano yep. jazz show. Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, so many wonderful episodes of that. There really yep. are. She grabbed me early on. <laughs> mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, Rick, I know you have some really cool family stories to share with us, but first, let's, because we are all, all music lovers here, let's talk a little bit about where your passion for music came from. Sure. Well, you know, I, I kind of came from a, a musical family, and then as I got into my heritage, I saw, I, I learned that it, it went way back. So, you know, uh, sometimes, I mean, we don't really know. Some people say, well, there is something to that, because I there's been um, musicians who become like great players and they, they their father was a, a, a great musician. You know, there's actually in the other building where I live, um, I, I have a friend, she's a singer. She had a child with a bass player that I also knew. They separated completely and never saw the kid. The kid never saw his father. And now all of a sudden, this kid just decided on his own to pick up the exact instrument that his hmm. father plays and he's hmm. becoming you know so in other words it's like and it, it also happened with um well since you know jazz a little bit there's a saxophone player named dewey redmond who played with the great pianist um the great pianist uh uh keith jarrett who uh, when i do something for you today it's there's a little bit of a keith jarrett influence in that in that I'm going to do something that's free improvisation, free form, with Keith Jarrett is known for. And Keith Jarrett um, had a saxophone player named Dewey Redmond. Dewey Redmond had a child. The child never met. They never, you know, they never really knew each other growing up, etc. They were raised by the mother. Uh, you know, he had all of his struggles with, you know, being a, just a struggling jazz artist. Uh, you know, had issues with, you know, with substance, all kinds of issues that jazz musicians have. And his son just grew up to be this incredible saxophone player, uh, you know, uh, this incredible saxophone player uh, who was, you know, 
literally carrying his torch forward. So that's an interesting thing that maybe it comes from that. If you if that's possible, then there could be a lineage for me as well, because I was told that my I go back a long ways, uh, going at least back to Italy with my grandfather, who was a great musician and a great accordion player. Mm. And he came over here with nothing but uh, a wine press and an accordion, which were really <laughs> the two most important things you could smuggle into the United States at that time. Sure, you know I mean? absolutely, absolutely. You know, that was <laughs> that was better than currency, you know. Right. So he came over here with that ability and he, you know, he became uh, quite, quite a, an attraction during the bootleg era. Um, so, so it's funny because, uh, you know, when I was at his funeral, someone took me to a sign and said, you know, your grandfather, they used to pick him up in a Bentley and behind the Bentley was a giant um, cylinder with all the bootleg whiskey and drive him <laughs> out to these places. And he, they said, even when, you know, big, the big names like Al Capone would come, they would always request your grandfather. You know, he had, wow. they had to have him play the music and all that stuff. So it goes back to Italy. And then as I became known in jazz, uh, I started to hear from family members in Italy that I never knew existed, never knew who they were. And they were in the city uh, in Italy called Caserta. And um, one of them came over. Actually, a few of them came over. But the first one that came over is the one who you know, told me told me that we don't even really come from Italy. And that's weird because I kept having people introduce me as like they would say I was I was a Spaniard and they kept mm. saying Spain, Spain. I'm like, where are you guys getting this stuff? I don't you know, I'm a, do I look Spanish? Maybe I play a little Spanish, but they kept doing it over and over again. And I was like, what are you going to do? You know, people want to think I'm spent. But then this woman comes and she said that we were originally aristocrats in Spain and we mm. were overthrown. It was oh, overthrow. And in those days, when you get overthrown, like back in them days, the 1500s, whatever it was, you don't run for office four years later. You know what I mean? You got to get the heck out of Dodge. You know? right. You're yeah, going to get right. decapitated. You're offended. You, know, yep. you got to get out. So they got, you know, they've got their jewels or whatever, all their stuff. And they took off for Italy and they went and just bought this town. They just started the town of Caserta. So everyone with the name Delorada is out of this city <laughs> called Caserta. And they said, as soon as you get yourself over there, there's going to be a big party for you. So, you know, get. so, you know, whenever I play in Italy again, I have I haven't played since this happened. But I've been, I've been to Italy three times, but not since this. But uh, yeah, there's uh, I guess there's a little shindig waiting for me. That's oh. cool. Awesome. Yeah, uh -huh. you should. Uh... Definitely start making some travel plans. That sounds like an exciting I trip. Should. There's another one named Aldo, and he is back and forth with me, just texting me, sends me little tidbits now and then. Speaks no English, so I have to, you know, I have to go into Google Translate and whatever. But he also and feeds me little things here and there from the old, from the old days. Wow, the old that's country. Very, that's very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, nature versus nurture is one of our big themes on this podcast. And I mean, I think we've seen uh, from both sides, you know, proof that it, it, it does exist. I mean, Kendall definitely has some traits um, with the siblings that he, you know, didn't grow up with. So it wouldn't be like an automatic thing. But then also, you know, raised by adoptive parents that he, you know, inherited a lot of um, their personality and, and yeah. morals and things like that. Interesting. Yeah. 
Wow. So you, when you found them, you realized that you had adopted them just by, you know, you being your DNA, just by sharing yeah. the DNA, you had all these traits. That's so fascinating. It is interesting because people will watch my brother and me together and you can, you can notice, I've seen videos of us together and it's like, wow, you know, uh, we have, we have some s similar, um, mannerisms and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So it's really interesting, but yeah, that is just, yeah. So Rick, can you share with us a little bit about, um, making something beautiful out of tragedy, which is your, your project, uh, Jazz for Peace, just kind of the origin and. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's this one story. Uh, I, I'm kind of a one-hit wonder with this story, you know, by accident. Uh, you know, and that is a strange way that life works. Um, on the 10th of September, you know, September 10th, 2001, you know, the day before, before everything, the, everything changed forever. Uh, I was, um, someone was, uh, a, a photographer was taking pictures of me for her own you know, purposes. And then she was giving me the negatives for free. Something that photographers do in New York City. And mostly in New York City, people know about this. I don't know if they know about it everywhere, wherever else. But uh, sometimes photographers get very well known. Linda McCartney is one. Simply by walking around in a place like New York City, you know, in uh, like, um, you know, Washington Square Park and taking pictures of people like Bob Dylan and, yeah. uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix when nobody knew who they were, when they're just strumming along in a park, you know, and it, and then she's got those photos. Well, this woman was, you know, wanted to take pictures of me. And uh, and I I was fine because we're always, you know, the free pictures. We're like, hey, that's, that's fine. That works that's for, right. you know, it's a win-win, you know. So she's a nice girl. She's taking pictures of me. Nope, no biggie. We're doing our thing. We're having a great time. Wonderful afternoon. The next morning, I get a call from her. And, you know, I kind of vaguely remember, but little did I know, I, you know, it, it, it really, I, resonated then she you know to support her photography habit she had a job on wall street so she's down mm. there and her boss uh her boss's son worked in one of the world trade center mm. buildings so apparently uh you know she's in the middle of all this the boss's son calls his calls her hey can i speak to my dad he's a little wound up she gives the you know to her boss they talk, you know, and she's he, she's there hearing it. And finally, he's like, well, you know, son, maybe just for precaution, you should get the hell out of there, you know, whatever. And she's like, just sitting there like, you know, really just up and up. She doesn't know who to call. And she just spontaneously calls me. Hmm. It wakes me up. I'm sleeping. And hmm. I'm like, hey, and then I'm hearing this, you know, and I like, listen, listen, I'll tell you what, listen, I'm on the fifth floor. I'm in the Lower East Side. I'm on the fifth mm -hmm. floor of, a you know, a five floor building. Five floor walk up and my, the, my roof is just, you know, point go on my roof. Like, you know, right. it's almost like a part. It's almost like my own private terrace, you know, the right. roof. I, Cause I'm so close to the room. I just go on the roof. Let me go up and just take a look. Something flew into there. You know, you're never thinking anything that it's just no. only right. some idiot with, you know, so I mean, even it's unheard of even to think of, you know, how could you even get right. the airspace? But we're not thinking that I'm just thinking some in imbecile flies a stupid little glider i mean what a crazy thing anyway go up there and forget it it's all you know i i'm happened. seeing well it's like walking into it's like it's like walking out of your sea in the you know into the screen you know what i mean because now i'm part of the movie i mean i'm mm -hmm. less than a quarter of a mile away on the roof of the building 
watching something trans completely transformational, you know, uh, something that no one's prepared for, you know, the whole thing. And so, you know, there's really nothing, there's no response for me. Like at the end of this, I just had a piece of paper with some words on it because that's what my response was. Words that came out of me on a piece of paper. And I called the poem Jazz for Peace. So, you know, very simply, all I did was I looked at those words. I'm like, wow, these are some pretty powerful words I wrote today. Um, you know, and then I thought, you know, um, I mean, I've traveled a ways in this journey now. I've been a musician. I travel all over the world. I had seen things that I was convinced were true about the magic of music, the ability for, you know, people like Oscar Peterson uh, to, to, you know, to, to resonate with people of all shapes and sizes and color and grief and religion and language. Every barrier that divides us, music uh, breaks through. You know, mm -hmm. and the art yes. form of jazz is our country's greatest music. And here I am, a jazz musician. And, you know, I've been in situations where I was, you know, uh, on stage with Israelis and Palestinians, you know, that come here to learn jazz. And I'm playing with them. And I'm like, you know, I'm noticing there's no war on the stage here. You know, nobody's, mm -hmm. you know, these two people are getting along just very well. So I'm noticing, you know, the healing power of all of the powers that music has in jazz as a particular and the poem's called Jazz for Peace. So, uh, you know, basically, I was thinking, you know, rather than just write it down, walk the walk, why don't I, uh, why don't I, why don't I just talk the talk, is what I meant to say. Why don't I try to live up to these words, basically? And that's what I've been doing since that morning. I've been trying to live up to the words of, a, live up to the words um, that I scribbled out on a piece of paper watching the events of 9-11. And so that's just led from one thing to another, to another, to another. And you know what? It's like, it just presents itself, you know, my journey presented itself to me every little step. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the next step in that journey with the poem was, uh, you know, the, the country was closed down when it opened up. I had to appear as a headliner at a jazz festival in Savannah, Georgia. There was going to be 8,500 people. You know, so here I am with these words of a poem, you know, and everybody's, you know, affected by this whole thing. I mean, the, the you know, the, this is the first event where anyone's even been able to get on a plane and go to since then. So, you know, here I am with the words of a poem. I mean, I'm in a position that Ed, poor Edgar Allan Poe would have, you know, given his right, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Given his eye tooth for, you know, yeah. I mean, a great poem. I'm not a, you know, I'm a lyricist. I'm not a poem. I'm not a poet, but I have a poem, you know? Right. So I read right. the poem, 8,500 people. You can imagine how that resonated. And then when I got back up here, I had another high profile concert um, where the promoters said, hey, we heard about this poem. What the heck? I mean, people are talking about this thing. Well, I'm like, is there any chance you're going to have it to music by the time of our, you know? Mm. And now they're like, you know, Hint, hint, kind of, you know, right. like, hmm, not a bad idea. So I put it to music for that. Then, you know, articles come out. Uh, there was a preview that came out where the person asked me to recite the jazz piece poem. And just in the banter back and forth, I just happened to say to him something that I had noticed in all my travels, all of my life, you know, my, you know, my journey that led me to this point, which was that if we fill our souls up with 
these amazing qualities that the art form of jazz has and that, you know, music, great music in general has, such as creativity, artistry, humanity, intelligence. If we fill our souls up with these great qualities, we will have a better chance at avoiding the behavior that leads to destruction. Just some off the top of my head, you know, I wouldn't have even remembered it. <laughs> I would have remembered it and let, and, and be, uh, if it hadn't come out in the article. But then even when it came out of the article, I hardly remembered it. It's just right. that it was lifted. And now if you Google Rick Delarada famous quote, that thing's all over the place. I mean, you can't cancel me. You can't, you know, I don't think you could cancel, uncancel culturable, probably. You know what I mean? Because what are you going to go? How are you going to get it out? How are you going to go to that, yeah. um, you know, Russian website or that, you know, Hindu website where it's in Hindu? I mean, it's in languages. It's crazy. But they had, I didn't know they had famous websites. Famous quote websites, which I think are phenomenal. I mean, if you ever want to just treat yourself, just click on one of those famous quotes. Type my quote in and go to the, whatever the first website you see and just read some of them. There's so, you know, there's so all these great people saying these inspirational things. I mean, you just can't go wrong. So I learned a lot just reading the other people's quotes, you know, because mm -hmm. I was so amazed to even be in that company. But anyway, so, you know, that happens. The uh, press comes out, you know, Delarada starts out, uh, you know, a uh, concert with Jazz for Peace, you know, and it's like, oh, man, they just said that. Now what am I going to, you know, now what, you know? Right. Uh, so then, you know, I, I kind of was, you know, I managed like, you know, people are really talking about this Jazz for Peace thing of yours. I said, listen, I have an idea. Why don't you, as you're doing what you do, you know, why don't you um, contact the, the uh, United Nations, you know? And I mean, you can imagine the look I'm probably getting from her just with this idea, right? She's like, <laughs> you know, and I do get these looks from people, but I've realized if you don't, if someone doesn't look at you crazy, you're probably not even on the right track to begin with, you know, <laughs> because everything sounds crazy at the beginning. I said, listen, call over there. Well, what number do I call? I don't know. You got to tell them. What do you get a break in the action? Call the main number. And just see where they put you through. They're probably going to bounce you all over the place. Who the heck knows what they're going to do? You're probably going to end up in the main office in Scottsdale, Arizona. Who knows where they're going to send you, you know? But just follow it along and see what happens. And one day, you know, she's just going over some things with me, some itinerary, you know, like, hey, you know, you, you, you got this thing in Paris, then you're going to get on the Eurorail to Milan. Then you're going to go, you have, you have to get to a uh, country, was it? This country with more cows than people, Luxembourg. Mm. Freaking place has more cows than people. That's what I noticed. <laughs> anyway, we got to go to go Luxembourg. This little jazz club in Luxembourg wants you there. So then she's like, "Oh, and by the way, that um that United Nations thing, yeah, they they want to do that." Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> "Did you realize what you just said? Obviously, you did. You know, she doesn't. Nobody really did. I'm the one who realized it. To me, I'm like, this is a big deal for me. I just thought it's a big deal for me. Yeah, but she didn't." She didn't, she couldn't really tell the difference, I don't think, between the Luxembourg and the, you know, so I don't think she could tell one from the other. And even the musicians, you know, they're just like, oh, Rick has a gig. And then we're going to, you know, this is, they just want the particulars, you know, right. it, it starts here. We got to get that this time to go through the checkpoint. You know, that's where everyone's just doing their thing. But for me, I thought the fact that I was bringing Israeli, Palestinian and American musicians together was going to resonate. Well, it sure didn't. 
right when it happens. You know what I mean? I mean, we put out a press release, you know, nobody's really, the, the people at the United Nations, they were impressed, but they were there anyway. Right. Now, one of the guys came up to me, said, just, you know, what you're doing is just, and he got it, you know. I said, listen, I see that you get it, but, you know, you got to realize we sent, you know, I don't see anybody, I don't see uh, Walter Cronkite here or whatever, you know, I'm sure he was retired, but you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. see whoever they're there. I don't see those guys here. He said, listen, see that, um, you see that bleacher over there? I said, yeah. He said, you know, if a bomb blew up in that beach bleacher, you get all the publicity that you want, mm. which is so sad, right? It would right. take something like that. But he, I mean, the guy was right. I mean, he was telling yeah. me, but he was really not. Anyway, mm. did that. As time went on, people started writing me letters referencing that event, you know. And like I said, it's just gone on and on and on. So now where, you know, like I said, you know, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't expect to be on a podcast and someone doesn't want to hear that story. Yeah, so sure. Of course. I don't blame you for asking. Right. Right. Well, I think uh, we'd both love to hear a little, little taste of uh, okay. music. Well, now, so what I'm going to do, this is going to be interesting because this might, like, I think Corey... It's going to be more along the Kendall side because Corey has this ear already for hearing jazz because he's, you know, he's, a, he's, he's got a thing. So but what I, what I do is I'm trying to get people that don't even know jazz to follow me on a little bit of a jazz journey. So I start out with something that's very, that anybody can, you know what I mean? No one's going to screw up listen, following me on that. And then I head into something that I call free J.A., and I got to this title in the craziest way. I was in uh, Haiti doing a concert in Haiti and had a big sign. And the sign said, welcome, Jazz for Peace, J-A-S-S. <laughs> it was like, what? And then I called a friend of mine who had spelled it with that. He had a traditional New Orleans band. And he was very traditional, real stickler. He wanted everything perfect, just like historically perfect, this guy. Only person I knew. I said, you just remember you had that New Orleans jazz? Yes, yes, the New Orleans, uh, the Bourbon Street Jazz Band. And I said, it was a great band. Yeah, it was a great band. You spell the J.S. I says, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was just got back from Haiti. He said, well, that is the correct spelling of jazz. Hmm. It's, a, it's a Creole word. comes from Haitian people. And apparently, you know, they brought Haitian people from Ghana. They kept, you know, started out in Ghana. And the slave castles came to Haiti, then from Haiti to New Orleans, and then they were hearing jazz when it was developing, and they called it J-A-S-S. We changed it. So I took the Z's off because it was misspelled. I took, kept the S's off because nobody knows that. Now I have Free J-A, which stands for something that Jazz for Peace is very, thinks is very important, and that is, you know, the bombing of innocent civilians in wartime, and we keep, you know, that has to be... We have to let reporters do their job, journalists make integrity, freedom of speech, and these issues surrounding Julian Assange. So hence my title, Free J.A. So anyway, I'm going to start out with a Beatles song, The Long and Winding Road, and then we're going to wind into this thing somewhat influenced by people like Keith Jarrett, Cecil Taylor, that would literally improvise their whole concert. And this is, I'm going to make this up. I mean, who knows? Like, this could be the belly flapper. <laughs> we don't even know what's going to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. 
to your door will never disappear seen that road before it always Thank you.
very good. Right. Right. Yeah. Yay. Giving you the slips here. <laughs> no, I love that. That was really great. Thank you for that. Yeah. Right. My pleasure. Especially the rendition of the the first song and then the yeah, lead was, into the second. I loved it. Yeah. Good. I mean, like I said, you know, once once I got through that melody, it was, you know, it was all just, you know, whatever, whatever's in the air. Right. Right. I do not have that um, ability, so I can I can appreciate <laughs> it a lot. <laughs> well, we would love to hear the story about um, finding someone that you didn't know existed and, and bringing them. In. OK, yes, that's the one I was. Uh, let me see. I can get this back here. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yep. Oh, perfect. So, uh, so now, you know, now the DNA thing comes out. So th these are all, you know, just because of my jazz journey, I was able to connect with these people, you know, in Italy, which was so phenomenal. And I, and I you know, I was in, I was in Washington DC once and a guy comes up, Gives me his card. It says Joe Delarada, you know, and I was like, wow, I didn't know. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he had somehow, you know, so I was finding them out only through jazz before the GNA. In fact, one time I went, I had a gig in uh, West Palm Beach. I had a concert and I went to check into a place and they looked at my ID and they're like, looking at me funny. And I'm like, you know, what did it's, you know, what's going on here? Like what, you know. And they take it in the back room and they talk to each other and they come back and they give me the ID with the funniest look, you know, and I get into my room and I get up a phone call. Uh, hey, this and it turned out this guy, Joe Delorado, who met me in Washington, D.C., owned that hotel. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and wow. And he said, what are you doing down here? What's going on? I says, I'm just, you know, I have a jazz for peace thing to help an outstanding cause. I'll send send a car over where you canceled your we canceled your thing and I'm sending a car over to meet you. We're gonna take you to dinner at the such and such and all that stuff. So wow. you know, it was an amazing situation. Huh. But now that was my only way. So now the DNA thing comes out as you guys, you know, uh have alluded to on all of the podcasts and the amazing stories of some of the other ones I listen to on the show. So and I'm in the same boat with this DNA and I'm like, mm, you know, because our family, who knows what's gonna turn up? And sure enough, one day. Um, I get really, I get, a, I, I'm contacted by my cousin and my cousin, uh, uh, said, Hey, you know, I, I've been talking to this guy. He's a lawyer on central park West. And I think you really, you know, you really need to talk to this guy. There's something going on, blah, blah, blah. I said, all right, you know, have, have him call me. So he called, this guy calls me. He's, um, he's a, lawyer you know he's a partner in a major law firm here in new york city well known you know well known everybody knows this law firm and he's the part he's one of the partners and he starts talking to me and asking me questions and i'm saying hey you know what's going on he says yeah he says i love music and you know your cousin told me blah 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 and i said that's great i'm glad to hear that you know what's going on here and he said he said well uh he had purchased one of those things it could have been ancestry i mean that's the most famous one but i know this there's like three or four of them that do it. Right. Yes. Uh, and we, you know, he purchased one for, I believe his mom, mother, or, you know, it's a parental related thing. One of his parents and, and, it, you know, he had, yeah. So, so, you know, his thing was, this is going to be a little hobby. We have a little fun with his elderly parents and, you know, go back in our genealogy and trace it to Scotland and some king in Scotland and who knows and all that. And he's just thinking it's going to be the most fun thing, you know, and then the tests come back 
And all of a sudden, and I think, you know, uh, anyway, he was, I think he was doing it with his mother and the tests come back and he's got nothing on his father's side and everything's working out great with the mom, all, everything he wanted. It's all, you know, everything that beautiful, everything's working out just as he had planned. The father's getting a zero. And Mm -hmm. then what he is getting is being traced in very strange way and he doesn't understand he's very confused and he's able to you know call he ends up uh, somehow finding uh, a way to reach my cousin and then he, he talks to me and i said listen what's the deal and she said and, and then somehow through all the three of us we end up the whole story leads to a beauty parlor <laughs> in schenectady new york where his mother apparently lived for a short amount of time and she would go to this beauty parlor to get her hair done while they were together i think they may have been married at the time and everything Hmm. but she went to the beauty parlor and she came out with the baby Hmm. so and you know it once he told me once i got the beauty parlor, i said well forget there's no doubt because i we all knew my uncle pete you know and my uncle pete was he was um you know, he again, he comes from the musical lineage. And my grandfather, I think, was so proud of me because my uncle Pete was his protege, the oldest boy. Yeah. He was the oldest son. And he just wanted my uncle Pete to carry on his musical torch. And my uncle Pete was, you know, just too much of a playboy rock star, whatever, to practice the freaking accordion. And, mm-hmm. you know, he ends up in like kind of like Warren Beatty in shampoo with all mm-hmm. of these, you know, beauty parlors. And of course, when you got beauty parlors, you've got girls. And if you're, you know, a player like he was. And the problem was uh, he ended up in a crazy situation with one of these beauties that he ended up in a wild affair. And apparently they were all over the world chasing each other. It was a dysfunctional relationship. They were, you know, they were, you know, how these couples, you know, the whatever, the, the Richard Burton, uh, Liz Taylor type of scenario. You know what I mean? They're in the middle of, free, you know, they're throwing champagne glasses at each other in the middle of Greece, some island in Greece, you know, some crazy thing. And he was kind of destroyed him and he ended up, mm. you know, having an alcohol problem and losing all this. You know, these people, they get in these crazy relationships. They don't care even about their business. And you know what I mean? Say so yeah. one of those guys lost everything. He had everything and he lost it over some crazy woman. But that mm. was he. He lived and died by the sword. You know what I mean? And this woman was one of, you know, was someone he had an affair with. And, you know, my father ended up telling me that, hey, in those days, in those days, you know, when the baby didn't come out looking, you just you just raised it. You didn't you know, you didn't go in asking questions because it could bring shame to the family. In those days, divorce was not, you know. The, the church, you know, there were issues with the church. There were all kinds of issues with getting a divorce, you know. So and acknowledging out of wedlock children, you know, you just raised it. No, you know, mm-hmm. you just dealt with it. You know what I mean? You pretended, you know, you pretended you saw something, you know, you pretended right. it looked like you is what right. I guess they did. in mm-hmm. those days. So I said, well, listen, welcome to the family. Uh, why don't you come up? Because we're having this kind of thing. Memorial, my mother had passed away. Come up and meet everybody. He took, you know, came over, give me a ride up, you know, and, uh, you know, basically just welcomed him and introduced him to wow. everybody. And, you know, hey, cuz, you know, you're you're one of us now. Wow. That's amazing. Nice. Oh, that's great. How long ago was that? That was about 
four or five years ago, four or five years ago. So cool. I think it was about four years ago. <laughs> it was about four years ago. Very good. Did he have some challenges? Um, I mean, did he, what did his parents say about this <laughs> well, discovery? Yeah, I think it's possible that one of the parents may have passed away. So his dad may have passed away. Uh, and this, he was doing this with his mom. I can't, now I can't really remember. And he didn't really talk to me much about the, you know, whether it caused a rift or an issue internally, but he did tell me that, you know, he knows in his heart that his father is his father because he was raised. He said he had a fantastic upbringing, you know, he had a, and I, I told him, I said, listen, you know, if you had a great mother and father, that's all any child could ask for. That's a great you mm -hmm. could, I mean, a lot of biological parents are a disaster. You know, we've heard about them, the narcissistic, <laughs> you know, parents and all this crazy stuff. And it's just horrific. And so many children have broken households. They don't have parents or they have parents that are, you know, dysfunctional and mm -hmm. all that crazy stuff. He had a wonderful upbringing. He had great parents. It just, it just wasn't a biological situation right. with the father and i don't even know if the father knew or not i mean i didn't yeah. really get i did i don't recall getting that deep into it with him maybe the next time we get together i'll be able to get into that mostly because he wanted to know about his real father sure so yes. most of it was him and i was just trying to just do all I could for him. Just tell him everything I remembered because he was my favorite uncle. He was kind of a black sheep of the family because of his issues. You know, he mm. went overboard and, you know, you know what I mean? He had the, the drinking issues and the problems and all that. Uh, but he was, you know, the most incredible uncle. I mean, as an mm. uncle, I just thought the guy was just that, you know, just to have somebody, I, I always genuinely felt like he was always on my side and always wanted what was best for me. And you can't ask for more than that from an uncle, you know? Nope. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Well, kudos to you for, you know, welcoming your cousin to the family and, you know, making him feel welcome. And yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so excited about this podcast because he's going to love it. Oh, good. Yeah. Wow. His name is awesome. Rob and he's a phenomenal person, you know, in addition to be a superstar lawyer, but he's, cool. and he loves music. He's classy yeah. and, you know, he's going to, he's going to really enjoy your podcast in general, but he becomes a fan of your, should be one of your subscribers. Awesome. That would be yeah. great. Thank you. Well, wow, Rick, you've, um, you're a great storyteller. So thank you for, you know, for sharing with us today. It was great. And of course the, you know, the Beatles stuff leading into the, uh, the freestyle. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, we're not too far from New York, so we're going to definitely look up and we're going to come and catch one of your gigs for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Where we are you live up, We live up in uh, New England. We live in uh, the seacoast area of New Hampshire, so about oh. 80 miles north of Boston. Okay. So, yeah. That's yeah. nice up there. Isn't that called the North Shore or something or no? Is uh, that, we're like, north of the North Shore. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah, we're... Uh, okay. We're about uh, about twenty minutes to the little tiny portion of the ocean that New England or New Hampshire touches. <laughs> Great, because so, I used to go to school in Boston, and you know yeah. I would play gigs up there, and you know we do the quail hog co hogging, whatever they call it, with the clams and all that, yeah. and it was fun. It was a yeah. blast, uh, you know, fishing and and hunting for clams. The little neck clams were up there, and yep. all that. Yeah, yep. so, yeah. Yeah, we moved here from San Francisco 
after we found that my biological father and two of my half siblings live near here. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So we um, were just not on a whim, but very quickly made the decision after visiting here in October 2018. Uh, Corey looked over at me in the, on the plane ride back home to San Francisco and said, we have to move there. Like, we, you know, I, the, because I'd missed so many years with, with them and uh, it's been great. We moved in January of 2019. And That's so cool. I, I think it's great for someone that is able to get uh, a taste of both coasts, you know, because they yeah. both have their charms. But sure. a lot of times the Western people never get out here. You never make it. So I'm glad you did. It's yes. true. It's true. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've, we've said that, yeah, we, we, we enjoy the coastal living. It's, it's for yeah. us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We were both landlocked in the middle for a long time. And, um, so it's, it was good to, to move to the West and then move out here. It's been kind of a whirlwind, but it's been great. It's so, nice. Well, thank, thank you. you for doing what you do. Uh, you know, the, the Jazz for Peace uh, program will continue on strongly, we hope. And yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. You know, our, our Benefit Concert Series is probably the biggest thing of what we do. And that helps outstanding causes in need all over the country, all over the world. So, uh, you know, if you come across an outstanding cause, a charity, because what we do is, we help them in so many ways. Funds is one of the ways, but we also help them by expanding the donor base. We thank and reward the supporters they have, making them VIP guests of honor at the event. We uh, help them get sponsors at the local level and then publicity and awareness. And then once we have all those things together, we go after uh, major sponsors for them. We get new and prestigious supporters and we help them with fundraising techniques that we've learned from the 20 years we've been doing it and the over 850 events along the way. So if you come across uh, an outstanding cause, an outstanding charity, someone making your community better, the state of New Hampshire better, or our, our world better, sh please share this podcast. And then you just tell them, all you got to do is share the podcast, say, wait, watch the podcast. All you got to do from there is contact us at info at jazzforpeace.org. Now, they're welcome to go to our website too and you know research some other stuff. And you know, the more they know, the better. Absolutely. But hopefully they've learned enough from this podcast where they can just now contact us. Again, it's info at jazzforpeace.org. Just our generic email address. Write us a note. And that little note that they write is the seedling of an empowerment tree that we will then take that seedling, grow into roots, grow into branches. And at the end of the day, it's a helpful step forward for their outstanding cause. It it makes me are rich inside, knowing that I've made a difference for an outstanding cause that is going to help others. So I'm helping those who are helping others. Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes.